the countdown to the end of part one of the story continues, and so are the giveaways. Tweet out your favorite episode of our show using the hashtag MyFavoriteBuildingEvelynEP, and I promise to give a free t-shirt to the first four respondents. Thank you so much for listening to my story. I appreciate your time. This production is a result of many sleepless nights, and I hope you enjoy as much as I do when I create it. To help keep this project alive, you can support us by buying some merch at our store or by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash buildingevelyn. You can join at any level, and by doing so, you access true facts about the story, our chapters for your reading pleasure, full-length version of this episode, and much more. You can cancel at any time, no hard feelings. Thank you so much to those that already support us and those who are considering the near future. It means the world to me. See you there. Previously on Building Evelyn. Just the coins. No one will notice, she told herself, and left the house to go buy coconut bars on a bodega at the end of the favela, which was closer. She needed to do this before Miss Josie got back. Evelyn unlocked the gate and took the key with her. When she reached the neighbor's house, she saw through the barbed wire fence and plants Meiji and her boyfriend sitting in a hammock. She ran right back to the house, but Miss Josie wasn't back yet. Evelyn figured that her grandmother would like to know where Meiji was because she had seemed worried. Welcome to Building Evelyn. This dramatic story is based in true events, but written with a bit of fiction, showcasing Brazilian culture throughout the story. Some chapters are written by different writers, and each writer not only continues the story using real events and facts, but also puts their own twist on the previous writer's idea to keep the story moving. I am Jackie Passau, and this chapter was written by me. Peace worked from 8.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. with one-hour lunch five days a week in the accounting department of a factory. The company had a nice cafeteria with plenty of windows and outside seating as well. The office employees were able to stop for lunch at the same time and mingle. Peace preferred to have his lunch outside. The tables were strategically placed under a massive tree that provided great shade. 
which made the breeze comfortable enough for a power nap. In fact, Peace asked Mary to make him a small pillow, which he would take to lunch every day, carrying it while serving himself and using it under his head on one of the many benches after he finished his lunch. Hey man, sorry to interrupt, but can I borrow your lighter? A man asked Peace when he was dozing off after eating. He was dressed like he worked in the kitchen. Why do you assume I have a lighter? Asked Peace, irritated. Chill, man. I come in peace. I see you here most days when I take my break. What is your name? Peace. <laughs> peace? If you are peace, I am quiet. <laughs> peace and quiet. The man said, laughing so hard, repeatedly pointing to Peace and back to himself, repeating their names. Peace was serious and cranky, looking the man in the eye. He left the area, still laughing, while walking back towards the employee entrance of the cafeteria. His name was Arthur. With time, Peace lowered his guard and welcomed Arthur to his table at lunchtime, and the two became friends for many years. Arthur was the cook, but he loved cars and talking about them, and told Peace about his dream to open a gas station repeatedly. He would always come to realize his dreams were silly and change the subject, for he earned minimum wage and that made his whole life difficult. Thankfully, at home, it was just he and his wife. She worked too, but sometimes they were forced to choose whether to buy food or pay a bill. Peace wasn't in much of a better position. He made a bit more than his friend did, but his family was much bigger, which made things just as difficult. I can barely afford a kilo of beef with the money I make here, Peace told his friend one day at lunchtime. Arthur didn't say anything for a while. Then he looked around their table and whispered to Peace, I have been stealing some of the meat from here and selling to my friends and family close to home. I need to confess. I hope you don't tell anybody based on our friendship of all these years. Peace was kind of surprised to hear that his friend was stealing from his job, but yet he was curious. He loved beef and always told anyone who asked that it was his favorite food. He always followed the news on TV, paying extra attention to the grocery store commercials, as he knew that if their price was high or low, it would trickle down to the neighborhood bodegas. He was always trying to find the right one where he could find the beef on sale. The family would eat chicken most of the time because that was the cheapest animal protein, but occasionally they would buy fish, which was Mary's favorite. In fact, Peace made sure to treat the family once or twice a month to a different animal protein. 
His salary couldn't afford anything else. He bought food and paid for electricity, but he felt blessed to afford animal protein when some people he knew could only buy eggs and canned sardines. Peace like those two, but being able to pay for beef in Brazil at that time felt fancy. And if he could buy beef for the price of eggs or canned sardines, he was most definitely going to take advantage of it. So, said Peace, pausing to look around, how much do you sell the beef for? The two men negotiated for a bit, and from that day on, the cook sold beef that wasn't his to Peace, too. There's a small problem. I can't be seen giving you the meat, Arthur told Peace, worried he would get caught one of these days. When the cook said that to Peace, he immediately thought of his daughter Evelyn. She was very smart, a person that would follow directions precisely, and she already knew her way downtown since she accompanied her grandmother on errands on a monthly basis. Evelyn could come visit twice a month to have lunch with me. That would be no problem with the guards. Yes, we would eat out here like I do daily, she can leave using the alley, which will be when, on her way out, you pass the bag to her, and I will phone the guard to cordially tell them that, and I will phone the guard to cordially let them know that the child left from the back door. Both men planned the entire lunch break, and they seemed to be happy where they had arrived. That was when he decided to send Evelyn every other week to go pick up the beef at the factory. Evelyn would have to get on the bus alone for the first time, but Peace was confident the plan would work. He made sure to give her all the directions, but he never told his child the exact nature of her visit. Only Mary knew. Evelyn felt like a big girl going on the bus on her own. She was 11 years old when she started riding the bus downtown to where her father worked to pick up the meat every other week. Evelyn was done with school for that year, so the ride in the middle of the day was a piece of cake. She would go in the middle of the morning, around 11 o'clock when rush hour was done, and people had all gotten to their jobs, and the bus were almost empty. It was easy for her to walk to the bus stop, ride for about 30 minutes, and get off by where her father worked, pick up the meat, and go back to the house. Evelyn did this for a couple of months until Arthur lost his job. Someone got angry at Arthur and blew the whistle for revenge. Luckily, he never told the boss that many of his friends from work were buying the beef from him, and that certainly made Peace less worried. He was glad that he was able to save some money by buying from his friend, but he was sad that his friend got caught because he could no longer buy the beef for cheap. Selfishly, Peace was sorry for his friend.
Mary was preparing bean soup. The ingredients were blended and sitting in a large pot. She seasoned them and placed the pot on the stove. She removed the spaghetti from the cardboard and placed it on the table and started to light the gas on the stove. She turned the knob and quickly lit a match, placing it close to the eye, but the gas did not light. She lit another match and then another. She turned the knob off and checked the gas tank, turning the knob on and off. She leaned closer to smell the tank. She tried again and lit four more matches, but the fire wouldn't light. The fire is not lighting. I have wasted five matches. I think we are out of gas. Let me make a fire pit outside. You go gather some falling branches with the girls. Quickly, if you want to eat tonight, Mary told Evelyn. Evelyn called her sisters, and together they walked around the farm in different directions to collect wood and twigs. Mary placed four bricks on the ground in a sandy area and spaced them out to form the corners of a square. She placed a metal shelf from the stove on top of the bricks, then placed the twigs and the branches the girls had gathered on the ground between the bricks and lit the wood, using paper as kindling. The twigs were a great igniter, and the girls kept adding more so the fire would penetrate the thick wood while Mary fanned the growing flames, getting smoke all over them. The girls looked at each other like it was a game. The girls and their mother gathered around the makeshift fire until it burned strong enough to bring the soup to a boil. Ellen continued to fan the flames, making smoke rise around them. The pot of soup was brought outside and the girls watched it until it started to boil. They jumped, laughed, and held hands in the smoke. As the sound of their laughter became louder, as the flames burned a bright orange, making the pot appear more black, the smell of the smoke became even stronger as Evelyn coughed, waking up. The smell of smoke was all over her room, seeping through the gaps in the ceiling tiles and the shutters from the window above her bed. Evelyn no longer slept at Miss Josie's house. She was in her house, where she shared a room with her sisters when she woke up to the smell of smoke. She got out of bed. Her parents were already awake. Clearly, there was no fire inside the house. Peace walked towards the front door, Mary and Evelyn after him, when they heard whispers and the crackling of wood burning. Peace looked back at Mary, completely in shock. His eyes opened wide, and he immediately opened the door. All three of them went outside to witness what they never imagined they would see in their lives. It was a real nightmare. To peace, it was hell on earth. Right in front of their house was about 10 acres or so of unattended farmland that was being cut down and burned 
The Warm Morning by the Landless Workers Movement. People, hundreds and hundreds of them, with more people still advancing upon the property, were cutting down the trees and burning them, devouring the greenery like a swarm of locusts, while others were building structures with brick. No one cared who was watching. No one cared that the land wasn't theirs. They kept at it, and the devastation could be seen from far away because of the many fires and the thick smoke billowing from the property. The movement also invaded the empty lot adjacent to Miss Josie's farm that belonged to her neighbor, the witch. The Landless Workers Movement is a political organization of hundreds of families who struggle for land and housing. They occupy unused lands and buildings in hopes that the government settles with the landowners and let them stay there or moves them to a new location to build a neighborhood. They set their eyes on that particular land long ago, and after many meetings in many places, they organized themselves and put a plan together. They usually occupied at dawn, cut down vegetation, burn what is in their way, and start building using bricks so that by morning, walls are erected, already making it more difficult to bulldoze. It was the same way at Machu Farm. Right before sunrise, someone told Miss Josie what was going on. She walked slowly towards the front of the farm, feeling defeated already. From the chapel, she watched the devastations on her neighbor's property as well. She cried, thinking of her ancestors, who took care of this land for generations, just for the end. Head to patreon.com slash buildingevelyn to resume listening. Building Evelyn Original Story, narration and production by Jackie Pesal. Music by Clark James. You can listen to his amazing music on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. To learn more, visit clarkjamespiano.com or find him on Facebook or Amazon. I hope you find this podcast entertaining. If you are interested in contributing a song or to write the next chapter of the story, send us a message at info at buildingevelyn.com and we will consider featuring it. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on WhatsApp at 513-580-4595. For those who love to read, our chapters are now available at patreon.com slash Building Evelyn. To listen to previous chapters and not to miss the next one, subscribe on your favorite podcast player, our YouTube channel, or head over to our website, buildingevelyn.com. That is B-L-D-G-E-V-E-L-Y-N.com. And while you are there, consider clicking the donate link. That would be so nice of you.